0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon..: Good morning, good morning. Oh no, We're going to talk, uh, especially for you who are free from your kids. Good morning, family. Good morning. Oh in unison, Good morning, family. Good morning. I's my microphone on? Oh, I check one, two, one two. <laughs> uh, I want to give a shout out to the tire parents. Tire parents put your hands up. please. Don't lie. The kids, oh, they are here. So you know, tired parents, be honest. <laughs> now, I'm grateful to, to, to be with you this morning. Again, my name is Lawrence Aja. Um, and what was actually interesting, I, I, we were talking the first time we spoke, and he was telling me what weekend. He was like, you know, I need, I need you to come out here. I didn't think this one through too much when I thought about this Sunday, because I was just like, there's there's something kicking off this Sunday, and it probably isn't a wise thing to kick off, and I I don't want to be too long here, so uh, shout out to all my people who love Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper? Everybody thought it was football. I was like, (laughs) how many uh, Jets fans in the building We're in Long Island? Jets fans? Oh, it's three. They're four. All right, well, this is not a message on suffering, so you're okay. I can't really help you. (laughs) I'm not going to... I'm not going to be able to do that, but uh, uh, be serious. I'm going to get out of your way really soon, but really grateful to be with you. Um, Again, my name is Lawrence Aja. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, uh, raised in Piscataway, New Jersey, and uh, spent a good part of my career in business, as as you shared, uh, as an investment banker um, first, um, then a consultant, um, and then uh, essentially doing the work that I'm doing now. What was interesting is the thing that really captured my heart throughout all the years of my work was the issue of loneliness in the digital age. Um, I was part of uh, the Facebook class, uh, the uh, the social media generation. Facebook was founded on my campus by my classmate, and I was watching fundamentally um, the first 20s generation mediating their most important relationship-building years behind a computer screen. And I was paying attention to this dynamic, and it really didn't hit me until um, I was finishing my track career, I came back to New York uh, to work, And I was meeting with one of my good friends who was a mentor, um, who was a mentor who is now a a managing director at an investment bank. And I remember speaking to her, she just became a managing director. And I'm just like, how are things going? Are you excited? And she's just like, yeah, I'm great, grateful that, you know, I'm able to get this, I worked so hard for this. But she just said, you know, but I'm lonely. I'm depressed. And on the outside in, you would see her LinkedIn, and you would see everything. She, she had it all. She was on panels. She had every single achievement that you could ever imagine. But in a place like New York City, where people literally live on top of one another, she was lonely and depressed. And that consistently was what I continued to hear and hear and hear. And that inspired a lot for me and inspired, obviously, the community community. Um, of, of dinners that you know that we host we hosted around the world, and it became a community of fifty thousand brothers and sisters and for us it was it was inspired by the spirit of acts two forty two to forty seven and how at some point, you know the one who dined with sinners somehow was i think quite genius when he thought about the open doors to relationship for us. But what was interesting, I, I thought about her this past week because uh, one of my favorite movies uh, coming uh, that came on the screen that I saw growing up was the Women of Brewster Place. How, uh, th- how many, uh, there's a chosen few people who know The Women of Brewster Place. I'm not expecting, how many people know The Women of, uh, see, see? Uh, I knew this was gonna be great. So, <laughs> so shout out to Gloria Naylor, um, who is the author of The Women of Brewster Place. And The Women of Brewster Place actually was written by um, Gloria Naylor, but the actual film was adapted and produced by Oprah Winfrey. And this was a, a movie about a, a group of six women all from different backgrounds. And they found themselves going through a lot of trauma, a lot of struggle, but found themselves all on this journey to this community in New York called Brewster Place. And it was one of those, uh, what you would call, neglected projects. What was interesting is that over time, beyond just obviously sharing a residence and sharing traumas and difficult life, they started to, to, to share friendship. They started to share community. They started to lean upon one another like they were family. And there's just this one seminal moment that happens near the end. Now, there's so much that heaviness that, you probably, you, that you'll see through the story, but at this moment, they were hopeful. They had gone through so much, they finally had hope for this community that was neglected. It had a wall that separated it from the rest of the city. And they're so excited, they're happy, they have this block party going, and An unfortunate incident happens at the wall. There's a sexual assault. Another unfortunate incident, there's a a murder. And you can imagine, they already were beaten up. They were tired. They had worked so hard, and they finally got to some place where they're like, oh, finally. And then there's this wall. There's this destruction. And there's this moment where Oprah Winfrey says, gives this line that I think always stays with me. And she says, that's why I don't trust trying anymore. It's like the harder folks try, the more something come along, smack it down. There's always something good, always something bad, standing in the way of good. Just like that wall. Blocking things out. And I'm tired. You hear me? I'm tired. I'm pretty sure there's many people in this room who feel tired. You've gone through a season which doesn't necessarily feel like it's done, but you're tired. It feels like every day or a couple of days, you get three days where there's no heavy news, and then day four, another one. And I certainly know how this feels because I was certainly in that When I, I The past couple of weeks, it feels like we go two days and then some bad news. Another day, some bad news. Another day, some bad news. And I, there was one point where I would just say like, you, you get up in the morning and as much as as faithful as I am, I go and I pray and do, there's some mornings when you don't want to get out of bed. You're just tired. But what was interesting is that as much as many of us have ever, probably been in that moment where we've ever felt paralyzed and we're just tired of all of it and we, like, we just want to go on an island and disappear for a couple of weeks, there's also that moment sometimes, even in the midst of all of that destruction, sometimes you s- find something new about yourself. And in this moment, Oprah, who played Maddie, was staring at that wall. And as she was staring at it, something grew up in her some boldness, some hope. And then she went to the wall and started knocking it down. It started knocking it down. It started knocking it down. down. (laughs) Sometimes we find our strengths on the other side of destruction. How many people have discovered strength you never knew you had? until you face circumstances in your life that you never thought you'd be able to get through. How many people thought that thing that got destroyed really mattered until it was destroyed and you realize it didn't really matter at all? (laughs) How many people looking back in retrospect, those things that you couldn't do without, that unsustainable job, that unhealthy relationship, that rhythm that ultimately probably would have killed you, you realize that there was some wisdom in that thing being destroyed. What if God uses destruction to strengthen you? What if God uses destruction to strengthen you? And that's obviously what we're talking about today is it's like God could strengthen you through destruction. God can strengthen you through destruction. Because if I'm honest, it seems like every place in the world, every element, every piece of news seems like the world is going the opposite way of heaven every single day. I'm waiting for the four horsemen to come out <laughs> every single day. You know what I, mean? I, I turned on the TV, I was like, what's going on in California? You know, like the orange, <laughs> you know, it was like Independence Day I, every single day. But this notion of destruction, I'm not even just talking about this extreme, I'm talking about the, the, the process of something actually experiencing deep, deep damage to some extent, in some cases where it almost is irreparable, where things are forever changed. Your rhythm, your ability, your, your, your social, your community. For so many people, your health, your employment, well, many of us are living through destruction of the things that we knew, of all that we knew. And now I know you've probably heard the saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I know that that is, that kind of makes sense, but it depends on what you're talking about being strengthened, because what doesn't kill you can make you more unforgiving. What doesn't kill you can make you more bitter. What doesn't kill you can make you more cynical, pessimistic. Not everything that's strengthened through destruction is good. Which is why it's important that God is strengthening you through destruction. That you allow and you are intentional about God strengthening you through destruction. Now what I think all of us know and recognize here is that God is not the author of destruction. He is not the author. John 10.10 10 says that it is a, the, the thief, the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy but I God have come so that you all may have life and life abundantly and so the scripture is saying is that I, I didn't simply come here for you to for you all to just survive destruction I came that you would thrive in the face of destruction now, destruction is a real thing in our world because there's two elements. One, because of we all know the fall. Things aren't the way they are because of the force of evil that came into the world that makes everything not the way it was supposed to be on this side of glory. But there's another element of evil, which is just pure and unadulterated evil. This is why the thief comes in. And so there's this dynamic that we have at play in the world, what makes it hard for us to kind of receive this notion of destruction, because it's all around us, and it's more the norm than the anomaly. But what I would actually want you to also to carry on is that this idea is that God can strengthen you through destruction if you let him, because it's a choice. It's a choice. because who in this room likes to suffer? Show of hands? No, no. No suffering lovers. No. I love this song, Shaka Khan. Remember the Shaka Khan through the fire? (laughs) You know, right down to the wire, even through the fire. You know, like, that song is my song, but it's like I laugh at it because it's almost like, you know, we don't want the Shaka Khan God. Like, don't let us go through the fire, God. Save me from the fire because we know a God. We want a God that saves us from destruction. But the God who has knitted us knows us in our inmost places sometimes knows that it requires fire, it requires suffering, to develop the diamonds, the hope, the endurance, the perseverance and the character that's needed not only to survive, but to thrive in a world like this. And right now I think this is essentially the passage and the moment that we're in today in the book of Ezra we're in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Now, I'll set the stage. I'd I, I like to give a quick summary. We have the Israelites, and you guys know the story of the Israelites. It's us. <laughs> and these Israelites, essentially, God had kind of had a pact with them. You know how God did in the Old Testament. <laughs> God had said, okay, if you worship me, that's not, not, too, not, not too complicated. You don't worship other gods. You're not in these streets talking to other gods, anything. I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless you. But if you don't worship me, if you don't, and if you go out after all these other gods, if you're unfaithful to me, I'm going to curse you. What do you think happens? We all know this story. They're in these streets, (laughs) and they get the curse. And God allows Nebuchadnezzar to come into Jerusalem and raise it, take everything, the wall broken down, the temples broken, took the people, took the skilled workers, took everybody and brought them to Babylon. Now the beautiful thing is we find ourselves right in the moment when right before God in his grace allows them to return. He shifts the heart of Cyrus, they come back, and now they're in a moment where they're rebuilding the temple and i'll read out the niv when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the lord the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and levites with symbols took their places to praise the lord as prescribed by king by david king of israel with praise and thanksgiving they sang to the lord he is good His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. Because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. What I would want you at least to see and point out is that God could strengthen you through destruction. But one of the many of the ways that he does that, he gives you an opportunity to rebuild. He gives you an opportunity to reimagine. And he gives you an opportunity to receive. Through destruction, God gives you an opportunity to rebuild. An opportunity to reimagine. And an opportunity to receive. An opportunity to rebuild. Now, when the Israelites return from exile... Everything was in ruins. Every single thing that they knew was in ruins. And But God obviously was gracious. God was at work in helping them to rebuild. He had shifted the heart of, uh, of, of King Cyrus. He had allowed all of the Israelites to give what they had to the treasury to rebuild. He had all, already also shifted the hearts of the neighbors of Sidon and Tyre to give these nice cedar logs and things to go toward the rebuilding. But out of all of the real estate in Scripture that is dedicated to the elements that are used to rebuild, there's a particular emphasis on one element, the foundation. Consistently, through the Scripture, God keeps pointing to the foundation being the most important element. We see in verse 10, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord. They literally started praising when the foundation was laid. Even when they were actually rebuilding the altar, they talk about the foundation hadn't been laid yet. They couldn't stop talking about the foundation and they couldn't stop singing when the foundation was laid. It's kind of like when you see the ribbon cutting ceremonies, there's usually sometimes when the building is built and it's sometimes when they break ground. It was that type of celebration. And it's because the strength of a building is based on the strength of its foundation. The foundation is the most important part of that building. Now me, I'm a son of an architect. I know a little bit about foundations. You know, the foundation holds up the structure. It also helps to distribute the weight of a building. But also, it's no coincidence that in storms, when you're facing so much destruction, they tell people, in tornadoes, to go down near the basement, near the foundation. Because in destruction, we tend to run to our most stable places in life. Now in 2008, as I said, I'm some an architect, 2008, as you know, the bottom was falling out. There was a big economic crisis that was happening. In the world, and my dad, whose job was literally to build buildings, most of his clients were large banks. His, bu- his, his business was crumbling, absolutely crumbling. And my dad did not want to lay off anybody. And already to that time, for those two years, he was working nonstop. He had a, a partner who was going through personal crisis, who was struggling with alcoholism, had not bringing any clients, was in the middle of a divorce. He couldn't help the company, and he wanted to buy himself out. While my dad is trying to keep money in the business so that he doesn't lay off anybody in the middle of this crisis. So he's going a million miles an hour, not stopping, not stopping, 3 a.m. out from Jersey, New York, midnight in, 3 a.m. out, midnight in. Then you have mortgage due, my sister's tuition, and my dad, with all good, best intentions, did not want to stress my mother. So he didn't tell her about any of it. And he's going. He's going. Enough nights when you find yourself in the office holding your chest because it's tight, it became clear to my father that only one thing's gonna survive. This business or him. This business or him. And he's wrestling. And the good news is that my dad lived, and the business did not. And what I love is that if you talk to him today about it, he talks about it like it's a blessing. He said, that business falling and crumbling apart saved my life. It gave me an opportunity to rebuild, refocus, reinvest in my marriage that I was neglecting, thinking I'm helping my my wife. She feels disconnected because I didn't allow her an opportunity to be his help. I'm going to rebuild my faith. I'm going to rebuild my health because I was on the brink of destruction. Hmm. What if God is using the destruction in your life to save you too? What if God is allowing all the walls to fall down in your life just to show you all of the relationships that you've been disconnected from and you've been neglecting, it took all of this, it took a pandemic for you to remember you had a husband or you'd remember you had a wife. If you remember you had family, you had neighbors, that you have health, that the temple wasn't the temple that Solomon built, the temple was your body that you neglected because you were going. You were going. You were going. going. And now the interesting thing is that the temple that they built, the Israelites, was beautiful. It was a beautiful temple. But it didn't, it was, it was all so beautiful and they built it up and they invested so much, but it was not beautiful enough to keep them faithful to God. The person that they built it for, it was not beautiful enough to keep them. Because what good is a temple and what good is a building if it's not strengthening your relationship with God? And during that time in the rebuilding, I think sometimes God was showing them is that maybe God is less concerned with people returning to a beautiful building and maybe he's more concerned with people returning to a beautiful builder. The king of kings. The one who ultimately wanted to rebuild their faith, their faithfulness to him in that time. What if? Because I think for many of us, we are so focused on building up our outside lives that we neglect our inside lives where the spirit lives, where God is, where God is trying to shape us to the person that he's called us to be, to the people he's called us to be, because God can strengthen us through destruction if you let him. Another opportunity that God gives us in destruction is that he gives us an opportunity to reimagine. Now, what I love about this scripture is that, um <laughs> depicts one of the realest moments, emotional moments that you could probably see. And I'll I'll reread it in verse 11 and 12. It shares, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted, for joy. There was literal weeping and rejoicing happening at the same time. They're looking at the same temple, the same place, the same circumstances, and you have some people crying, and you have certain people celebrating. Think about that. Weeping and rejoicing when they saw the foundation of the temple. It's kind of like us men when we are going bald and we see our temples and how it used to be. Let me not joke on that. I'm not going to mess my blessing up. Hold, hold on another ten years. Hold on. Let me hold on. <laughs> but I think you get it. The priests and those Levites, those young young men, were had differences of emotion and opinion and. I think this captures our sentiments a lot about a lot of things because the difference here is that usually for us, those two feelings are in us at the same time weeping and rejoicing. They were even talking about in uh, the New York Times, they were talking about how many people are going through Zoom fatigue? Any Zoom fatigue people? Some people were like, well, could we have a Zoom? I was like, can we not? Right? <laughs> you're zoomed out. But they were saying that research was showing them that part of what accelerates Zoom fatigue is that as you're watching, you're getting reminders in real time that you're actually not in the same place. And that accelerates your fatigue because when you can't, you're not actually looking each other in the eye. When you have to click and you're doing things, you're, you're psych- psychologically, that that actually accelerates your fatigue. And I am certainly not uh, a foreigner to this myself. As I, as I shared, I was, I, I was hosting this tradition, this dinner tradition, our family dinner, again, we, we, we expanded around the world. And our goal was, effectively, people to build relationships for food. I came from a family that believed in hospitality. Our door was always open to our neighbors. We knew every neighbor by name. We knew the O'Connors. We knew the Ortiz's. We knew the, the, the Forestiers. We knew the Joneses. Everybody knew because we always converged on our house. And in a time where people were lonely, I felt that that type of environment was needed for our generation. But as you can imagine, COVID hit. And gone are the days of these big dinners in these public places where there's hundreds of brothers and sisters rejoicing, laughing. And though during COVID we organized and we had a lot more communities of mutual care, we called them mutual care communities. So literally they were like insurance policies for the season. So everybody knew if you're part of a group, if some crisis happened, everybody had specific responsibilities for the people. They made commitments during that time. But even as people were celebrating, they're like, oh my gosh, people were there for me, my such and such passed, and this, this. As I'm hearing people talk and rejoice about just how the new, the new way that we've been able to connect, at the same time I'm hearing them, I'm also weeping because the numbers ain't the same. I'm thinking about public spaces rejoicing, and I'm struggling, and sometimes I'm like, are we failing? There are many people here in ministry, you're just like, are are there people showing up with, with the tithes? Are we failing? People are not raising their hand to serve. Are we failing? Are we failing? And God may be just challenging you to reimagine. One of the things I had to confront during that time, even as I was serving, even as I was seeing people grow, was that who am I really following during this time? What blueprint am i following? Am I following the blueprint of my grief or am I following the blueprint of my God? Who may be trying to rebuild and reimagine something in this time and challenge us. But one of the things I think that you also have to see in the scripture that is beautiful is that God leaves space for us to have these emotions. He gives us grace to, for us that even as we're growing, even as God is challenging us to change and even as we're going through destruction and suffering, God is also allowing us to cry. He's allowing us to lament. He just doesn't say, hurry up, just get over it. He's not calling us to be stoic right now. And the reality is that we're living in a time and a world, I don't care where you live, the reality is that things are probably never going to be the same. And there's many of us who are, you know what, trying to embrace it. But there are also many people who are still crying. And now God allows us that space, but the challenge is if you hold on to that too long, if you stay stuck there crying, it not only causes harm to you, it may cause harm to other people because you're unwilling to let go and embrace. Now, Dr. Henry Cloud has this quote in this amazing book, it's called "Necessary Endings, and he says, uh, the fool tries to adjust the truth so that he or she does not have to adjust to it. The fool tries to adjust the truth (laughs) so that he or she does not have to adjust to it. I'm not saying we're living in foolish times, but maybe we are. Have we really accepted that things may never, ever be the same? Does that business actually need to sustain after all of this? Does that pace that you were at that kept you away from your home and your family, does that really need to continue after this? What things may God be challenging you individually in this time? To reimagine, to grow in, to accept. Because I think the reality is that God is inviting us to do this if we allow Him to. And I think Isaiah puts it best even when he says this. He says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Are you willing to perceive? are you willing to accept because God can strengthen you through all of this destruction if you let him God gives us an opportunity to receive you know I um you find out later on in the scripture that the people the Israelites kind of started off pretty quickly and they kind of stopped the rebuilding they received a little bit of opposition from the state and they stopped rebuilding the temple. And they neglected the thing that God had called them to rebuild. And it was easy and you find in Haggai that the prophet Haggai actually comes about on nearly two decades later and God speaks through him and he speaks to the people and the people were just neglecting, they were going back, they're trying to get back to normal but God was trying to focus them on this area to rebuild. And I think the reality is that we all can accept in this time that if it wasn't for the times that we have just lived through and are living through, we would have never stopped. There are things that we have been running from, areas of destruction of our lives we've been running from for years that we can't run away from now. And maybe God is actually trying to point you to that area of destruction. God is trying to partner with you to help you rebuild, to help you reimagine, to help you receive his peace. Because for many of us, we've been running away from that area, that destruction that maybe it's time, maybe God is making you confront the fact that you need to you need to forgive your parents who couldn't be what you wanted them always to be. Maybe God is challenging you to this area of destruction of your marriage because you were easy. It's easy to be busy with the kids. It's easy to be busy, busy with your work. But now both of you are face to face and you can't get away from each other. And God is forcing you to deal with that destruction. Oh, God has shown you through the foundation that was shown after everything has fallen apart that you have just built your life on your career. And now you have lost your job and you have lost your mind. And God has given you an opportunity to rebuild. Because if there's one thing that I would challenge everybody to do in this time is actually to sit down and think about what is the one area of destruction in my life? that God is inviting me to rebuild, to reimagine, to receive his grace and his strength. What is that one area? Because similar to the Israelites, God is not calling us to do any of these things by ourselves. If you see all throughout the scripture, all throughout Ezra, God is one leading the action. He changed the heart of the king. He moved the neighbors to the, for them to give them resources. He, he had the prophet encourage them. He moved the people to give all of their resources. He had the prophet Haggai then shift them and then speak life into them. And during Haggai, he's speaking to them and he's telling them the same words that he told Joshua. Keep doing the work for I'm with you. I'll never forsake you. Because God was trying to build something in them. He wasn't trying to rebuild the temple that was destructible. He was trying to build something indestructible. The temple was inside of them, the Holy Spirit. He was trying to offer him this presence. He says, you know what? The temple was just an image of what I'm going to do. When the king comes, the Messiah comes, and he walks through the physical temple that you ultimately will rebuild. And then ultimately that Messiah is going to live inside of you. Because at the end of the day, God does not need us to build anything. God who spoke the world into existence does not need you to build anything. I hope you hear that God cares more about what he's trying to build in you than what he's trying to build through you. No business, no marriage. What he's trying to build in you matters more than what he's trying to build through you because he doesn't need you. He could do that himself. But what he can't do himself is allow you to receive the strength and the power of what his presence allows you to have. Now, my one of the things that sat with me and it probably sat with you all in the past couple of weeks, I wondered When Chadwick Boseman passed away, how he did it. Chadwick Boseman starred in Black Panther. He recently passed away from colon, uh, from prostate cancer, or colon cancer. And he had had stage three since 2014. And it progressed to stage four, and he, during that time, had done five to six iconic blockbuster films, and no one knew. And I'm like, how? Did he do it? How did he do it with such class, with such perseverance, and with such character? And then you actually hear about one of his press runs for one of the characters, and he actually was meeting two young kids who had cancer. If you go on YouTube, you can see the interview, and he talks about how he was meeting them, and they told him that they were holding on. They were holding on to the destruction of their bodies, in their minds because they were looking forward to this great story that he was going to star in about a king who returned home to protect his people from destruction. Come to find out, Chadwick knew that story very, very, very well. And he, too, in the face of his own physical destruction, was holding on to see that story unfold too. Watch more interviews of Chadwick and you feel and you realize that he also knows about a big story. The story of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ similarly knew what those two children, what his child Chadwick was going through. Because for the hope set before him, in the face of his own physical destruction, he held on. He held on to that cross, so that we would ultimately never face physical, spiritual, disease, death, that we would have if he didn't. Symbolized by that cross, he made it clear to us that he would be with us forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you that you strengthen us through destruction. That, God, because of your presence in our life, we could have hope that even those things, God, that push us to the brink, even those circumstances that take away things that we thought we could never live without, you are with us because you are the one thing, the one being, the one person that we truly could never live without. And we thank you, God, for your work on that cross. That the destruction of your body was little compared to the love and the presence and the care that you have with us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' right and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you.